Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Crisis Management, the podcast edition. I'm Alicia Sikirska. The fourth wave of the COVID-19 pandemic and the rise of the Delta variant has put many return to office plans on hold. TD Bank, for example, delayed its return to the office until at least 2022. And TD is not alone. Many companies still have employees working from home these days, nearly two years into this pandemic. And we're seeing that reflected in office vacancy rates. According to the CBRE Group's latest data, Canada's office vacancy rate hit nearly 15.7% in the third quarter of the year. That's the highest level since 1994. Vancouver boasted the lowest vacancy rate at 7.4%, while Calgary's came in at a whopping 30.1%. In Toronto, where I currently am, the vacancy rate is 13.7%. On our livestream video program, Sean Spear from the Public Policy Forum and I talked about the uncertainty surrounding the return to the office and what these high vacancy rates may mean for the future of work. I think this is one of the most fascinating questions coming out of the, the pandemic. I spoke yesterday to about 75 uh, rural mayors, councillors and reeves across the country about this question of the future of, of remote work and the end possibly of the um, urban downtown where you have, you know, these massive office towers that people commute to every day and uh, as a source of so much economic ac- activity in our country. I, I do think the longer um, that the remote work experiment continues, the greater likelihood, Alicia, that we don't revert back to pre-pandemic practices. Um, and in fact, that remote work phenomenon and the um, and the flee from cities phenomenon becomes more durable. Um, that businesses have now invested in kind of building up the capacity to enable a remote work option. Um, that employees have grown accustomed to the flexibility that it grants. That people in downtown Toronto have purchased homes in Coburg and other um, surrounding cities and, and communities. So. I must admit, this is one subject where my thinking has evolved over the course of the pandemic. Rather, if you would have asked me, you know, six months ago, um, were we going to revert back to, um, you know, a kind of urban-driven economy where people lived and worked in big cities, I would have said yes. But the longer this persists, the more I think there is a real possibility um, that these vacancies persist um, as we see companies kind of fundamentally change the way in which they organize their employees and the ways in which people work. As you heard on the show, Sean's views on the future of work and what it means for major cities have shifted since the pandemic began. So after we wrapped up our live stream video show, we dug into why his views have changed and what the future of Canada's cities might look like in a post-pandemic world. Alicia, listeners will know that, you know, almost from the beginning of the pandemic, 
when um, we went to restrictions on non-essential work, we saw a flee from downtown cores where people um, had previously lived in, um, you know, high-rise um, buildings and, and worked in downtown offices. Those people retreated to the family home outside of the city or cottages, or in some cases, people actually, um, as the pandemic persisted, um, relocated altogether. Um, you know, and this was particularly the case in hot real estate markets like Toronto, where, you know, I, I know of people, for instance, who decided that their homeownership dollars could go further if they um, if they reach uh, beyond the, the downtown core. And so, you know, there was always a kind of question about when the pandemic was over, what would happen to those cities? Would those people uh, return to where they previously lived and where they previously worked? And my assumption for most of the pandemic um, has been that the answer is yes that the trend towards urbanization, you know, really is a, a kind of 200 year process. And that while there has been some, you know, um, stops and starts along the way, if you take a kind of enough of a historical and big picture look that it was going to continue uh, unabated. And there's a lot of good scholarship and research about this, that you know, the, the wonderful book a few years ago called The Geography of Jobs that looked at how um, you know, this process of urban agglomeration has really um, only been exacerbated by the rise of technology and so on. So I guess that's a long way of saying my bet would have been, yeah, we'll go back to business as usual when this is over. I've kind of changed my mind. I think that um, now this has been going on for so long that businesses and workers have changed their expectations. They've changed their, the way they work. They change where they live. That businesses can re can realize potential savings um, that presently is kind of sunk in expensive real estate costs in places like Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver. So that's a long way of saying I'm not saying that you know everyone is going to start living in St. Thomas or Coburg or something like that and working remotely as opposed to working in downtown Toronto. But I, I do think at least on the margins this will have lasting impacts, um, and one of the results will be that the vacancy rates um, in downtown office space that we talked about on the live stream, you know, they, they won't persist at the level they are now. Um, but I, I don't think that they're going to be going back to pre-pandemic levels either. Yeah. And there was a, a PwC report that came out earlier this year uh, that said downtown cores that are at particular risk uh, are Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Calgary. W what, what is the impact of this kind of shift uh, away from potentially from the downtown core? Well, there's, there's, there'll be good and, and bad impacts. Um, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll start with the bad impacts, you know, because I think some of the good ones may be more intuitive for people. Uh, a, a bad impact is, the, is what it will mean for the, the, the service-based industries and businesses and, and jobs um, that have clustered in and around major urban centers to support um, the people who are living and, and, and working there. You know, I've heard in the past that the pathway that connects you know, some of the major office towers in Toronto employs literally thousands and thousands of people. And so, you know, if there are fewer people working in those office towers, presumably that means that there'll be fewer people working in the service-based jobs that, um, that cluster around them, which could have pretty profound employment effects, particularly for, um, you know, kind of low-income, low-skilled workers. Uh, so that's one, I think, impact that, you know, may be uh, underestimated or um, underappreciated when we talk about, 
you know, some of the more positive benefits that will come from a, a greater propensity towards remote work, including, for instance, um, you know, hopefully putting some downward pressure on housing affordability challenges in our major cities, you know, ostensibly reducing commute times for people um, who have been commuting in each and every day. Now, maybe they'll only have to commute a couple of days a week or, 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 or something like that, um, which I think is good for families. Um, it's good for people's mental health. It's good for their productivity. And then I, you know, I, the most exciting part for me as someone who grew up in, um, in a, a secondary community, hopefully it leads to um, new investment, employment, and opportunity in parts of the country that have um, struggled in the past. You know, we have an economy that is highly concentrated in a relatively small number of places. Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver made up, you know, two-thirds of all employment growth between 2015 and 2019. So a, a bit of a rebalancing across different places in the country, I think, could be um, a, a kind of healthy economic development. But as I said at the outset of, of this discussion, it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have some downsides, particularly for those low-income, low-skilled workers who, you know, who depend on the concentration of employment in, in major cities um, to be a major source of their customer base. Yeah, and it's it's not just those kind of restaurants and shops that you mentioned in Toronto's path that, that will suffer. There's also, you know, in most downtown cores, that's where you'll find kind of the cultural and entertainment institutions, uh, concert halls, museums. There, there's just an entire sector that kind of relies on that downtown traffic. And so uh, what should cities be thinking about in, with that traffic going down, presumably, and, and if that's a long-term impact, uh, how, how do you make sure that these other sectors are supported going forward? No, that's a great question, Alicia, um, for which I'm afraid I don't have a, a, a terrific answer. Um, you know, I think what I would say is, well, I, 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 I think we will see, um, you know, some permanency to people relocating out of major, major cities. I don't think they're going to go too far. You know, this is not, you know, the, the idea that, you know, people who used to work in downtown Toronto are now going to reside in, say, Thunder Bay, where I'm originally from, is unlikely. I think it'll be more on the kind of periphery of Toronto. So, you know, I, I think I mentioned Coburg on the live stream or St. Thomas or some of these other places. So, you know, I think it, it, it means that people will still be in reasonable proximity um, to major centers and still be able to take in, you know, sporting events or cultural events. Or, or whatever. Um, but, I, but I take your point. I, I think it's an interesting one. It will require, I think, some of these cultural organizations and tertiary organizations to sort of reinvent themselves. Um, you know, maybe we'll see, for instance, you know, an ongoing um, presence um, online. Um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've watched some concerts on Zoom. It's not quite the same as being there, but maybe that'll be one way in which these organizations remain relevant in, in a world in which um, population density, you know, in, in and around major cities um, de declines on the margins. And we've seen uh, over the years kind of downtown revitalization projects in different cities over, you know, different decades. Do you think we'll, we'll just see more of those going forward as cities look to tackle and, and make sure that their downtowns are still those thriving places that they were pre-pandemic? Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. You know, th that might be necessary depending on the magnitude of 
of the changes that we've been talking about. But let me just say, I think there will also be some responsibility on policymakers in some of the cities that may and towns that may benefit from these trends to ensure that they have high quality infrastructure, including broadband infrastructure, that they have the cultural amenities that people who previously lived in major cities demand and expect. Um, you know, I think it shouldn't be presumed that people um, who move from Toronto to, say, Coburg are um, going to settle, you know, when it comes to some of these other amenities. So, you know, if there is a, a bit of a competition amongst these communities for um, these new residents, I, I think making sure that uh, high quality infrastructure, high quality, quality cultural amenities are present in those communities will be a major advantage. And so I, I think, you know, those uh, municipal and community officials who've been doing that work even prior to the pandemic to make livable and, you know, culturally rich communities are going to be well positioned to kind of take advantage of some of these broader trends with respect to where people live and where they work. Yeah, as well as perhaps some of the initiatives that were rolled out in the pandemic to kind of make these cities more livable. You saw a lot of more pedestrian friendly initiatives, that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. Uh, Sean, thank you so much, as always, for the conversation. Thanks for having me, Alicia. Okay, that's all for today. You can find the latest video episodes of Crisis Management on the Yahoo Finance Canada's website or on YouTube by subscribing to the Yahoo Finance channel. And if you'd like to hear more of the exclusive content on this podcast, make sure you subscribe. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.